0: Well, me, I would say, don't focus on that. Focus on the hobby.
1: Uh,
0: and it may sound either cliche or totally useless recommendation, um, but I didn't try to get published. Right? My goal wasn't you know, to to create images that people like. My, my goal was to get better at it and, and do things that I like. and. I think if you focus on your work and, you know, and you have some, some something in you that makes you, you know, create nice pictures,
2: then you'll get published. I'd say the best way to get published, to get noticed, any attention is just have good pictures and have them consistently and just, you know, share them everywhere. That's really the way to do it. If you don't have good pictures, then they won't be seen by anyone. So just focus on bettering yourself constantly and that'll come...
3: Rogelio Bernal-Andreo, Bray Falls, and Chuck Ayub from Chuck's Astrophotography, along with Dustin Gibson, join us in this episode to talk about how to get your images published. We have some of the best in the business in this podcast, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories.
4: Tony, this is an exciting one, man. I found out about this one. You know, it's been the craziest, busiest time of my life these last couple months. As I know, you know, because you and yep. I have been struggling to even get our meetings. <laughs> you together. are,
3: you, you are hands down the the most busy guy I know. So, man, I'm there, trying not to be. I'm, I'm trying not to be
4: all the time, but you know, it's just I, I found out about this podcast a few hours before you know today. Um, I have that's how caught up I am on my schedule. I'm learning the same day, and. Um, when I saw this this morning, I was like, just thrilled. Couldn't believe that you piece this together because this is, um, this is going to be one of the best ones I think we've ever done. And three of my favorite, favorite imagers in the world, hands down on this podcast. So Chuck from Chuck's astrophotography, we got one of my best friends, Bray Falls here and Rogelio Bernal Andreo, the guy who literally wrote the book on PixInsight. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> imaging in general, I got to say, man, Rohelio, you were actually one of the inspirations that got me into this whole hobby. So it's always such a pleasure having you on and talking with you. It's yeah. incredible work you do. That's Definitely Welcome. <laughs> yeah. So this is an exciting one. We're going to talk about getting published, um, which is something that I think that, you know, a lot of astrophotographers, it's, it's such a fun thing being able to experience the universe and then ultimately share it. That's the second piece of it that I think is so important and being published as part of that getting your work out there is part of that and and uh the three of you none of you are strangers to it getting your work out there and seen by a lot of people so um yeah if you can share your secrets yeah. share your knowledge with us i think it'd be helpful to the community just to kind of know like what's that process like and what's the experience like when it actually happens when you get an apod or 60 <laughs> 60, 60 right? like, what's yeah. that what's that <laughs> right so,
3: or just, Chuck, or just to have it? something that stands out, and maybe you know, it gives yeah. other people something special they can be super proud of. Because I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are just getting started. Uh, some have been at it for a while, but maybe they just want to make their images a little bit better. And so, no better team exists than the ones we have here today. So, we're looking forward to, to picking your brains for sure on uh, on how you guys are taking your your images.
4: Well, Chuck, let's pick on you first, because I think that probably every listener we have to this has seen Chuck's astrophotography on YouTube, and if you haven't, do not tell people <laughs> that. It's a very embarrassing mistake to make. Go correct that right now, and just play along like you know what's going on, but Chuck, like, I mean, how, how did you get here, and you went from you know just a handful of years ago, I believe is your story, right? It's not that long
1: Right. I've been doing, doing astrophotography maybe a little over five years, and I still feel like a newcomer in this hobby. And uh, oh, by the way, you mentioned my YouTube channel. Today, I actually hit 50,000 subscribers. So, woo Thank you. Ah,
3: congrats! You. Woo. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that was
1: nice. But yeah, yeah. I, I still feel like a new guy on the block, even though a lot of people say they were influenced by me. And I, I just can't imagine that, you know, because I, I'm the one who's influenced by everybody else. And what I see today is amazing.
4: Yeah, your name comes up a lot. You know, it's funny, even on Twitch, um, back before the internet in San Diego collapsed, um, when we were doing the Twitch streams every night, we had um, Econ Greg, he's another good friend and and I mean, as you as influencer goes, in quotes, right? Hate the hate that word, but it's true. Um, I mean, he's he's one of the top guys on Twitch, and <laughs> you came onto the Twitch stream and he got all shy and I remember started that. Blushing. I was embarrassed. And he told me on the on our side chat. <laughs> Yeah, on the side chat he was messaging. Me. He's like, That's Chuck, man. I know. He's like, That's uh-huh. Chuck. That's Chuck's astrophotos. This is weird. Like, and I'm I'm, I'm
1: thinking, my test and speak. You know, I was kind <laughs> of <laughs> embarrassed by that whole thing. <laughs> but he's always kind. He says yeah. such nice sure, sure. things about me, though. I like him kind of He's a great guy.
4: Well, I think you're helping a lot of people, man. So you deserve the credit. Um, you know, and it's a very honest channel. But how do you go from just a handful of years ago to, you know, getting started? to now having 50,000 people that see your stuff, you know, weekly, if not daily. I mean, that's, that's putting your, your work in front of a lot of people. And what would you, what would you, what advice would you give to people that want to kind of follow in your footsteps and share their work yeah, on a, on a mass scale? Yeah, it's kind of hard
1: to believe it's, it's come to that, to 50,000, but uh, yeah, just, just be yourself and whatever info you have, people appreciate it. Put it out there on YouTube and uh, no matter who, everyone will, will watch, you know, put it out there. Whatever you have, people are really thankful. You know, even if you want to talk about a battery, that's how I started. Hey, look, it, I found these batteries on Amazon or OPT. And yeah, whatever I had, whatever info I had, I put it out there and it just kept going. And it helped that at my time. Yeah. I guess I haven't seen
4: your <laughs> first video. Your first video, video I think was, was about batteries? it was actually
1: about a wedge I bought for my Nexstar 8SC and then another one for a battery. <laughs> Because I didn't know any better. I didn't know what yeah. people were doing. It was crazy.
4: <laughs> so you're just sitting at home one day and you're like, man, that wedge over there in the corner, that, thing that video made about it today. <laughs> it, was,
1: it was a terrible video, by the okay. way, and it got more dislikes and likes. But you know what? I wasn't afraid. Yeah. But if you know, just put it out there and get started and you will yeah. get a
3: following but that's a really good point and 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 you're absolutely right you just if you're if you're heartfelt and you've got any kind of information that or a story to tell or in, anything like that you'll find people who'll who'll appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing it with them so that's that's yeah. really good advice and and it's, it's true i've noticed that now the same though thing.
1: because a lot of people really hit the ground running like Bray is making great youtube videos, and you know he's not starting from a beginner standpoint he really has a lot of good information to share and there's others too in that in that area.
2: So, thanks. I'm glad you like the videos. I...
4: We didn't even pay Chuck for that incredible <laughs> segue right there. No, we didn't. Thank we you didn't. for that. Um, yeah. Appreciate so it. Br- Bray, let's let's pass it to you because um, I think that you're you're putting out some of the the best content that I've seen, you know, ever. Honestly, and right now is is I feel like it's all kind of been this culmination of effort. You know, we've been talking for a couple years about you know, your plans and what you're trying to do, but even your post just, uh, maybe it was today that you did that. This podcast will be released in a few days. So it'll be a few days old at the point. People hear this, but where you were showing, you know, the shadow of the earth and you, you, uh, kind of compiled all the, your moon photos together to teach alongside just like this beautiful image, but also like, there's always this objective of teaching. Is that kind of your MO? Is that the goal here is to share and also educate? That's
2: what a lot of people are interested in because. If I just post that picture and I don't explain like what's going on with it, then you miss half the story of the picture. Like, "Mm, yeah, the moon got darker on the sides and then turned red. You know, if you're going to be posting these complicated images, Mm -hmm. you have to kind of break it down and make it understandable to just the average person going through Instagram. It's hard to forget, or it's hard to remember that like the average person scrolling through doesn't know as much as me. So you have to make something understandable.
4: Yeah, yeah. And I think it it helps guide the conversation too. Because if you don't do if you just post the photo, then the comments get out of control really quickly and they go in a different direction. It's like, hey, why is the moon red? The very next comment is like, because I'm a (laughs) Taurus. You know? It's like, yeah, and and, then it just gets out of control. But I feel like the comments that that I see on your post, and there's a lot of them, are always very guided and interested in the astronomy aspect, um, just as much as the photography aspect, which is which is really nice to see. It's really, really a great thing to have, and in, in a lot of young people too, kind of getting turned on to it because the image is staggering. But then the information I feel like is what really, you know, when when you get hit by the, the galaxy posts and things, it's like, man, this is this is a lot to take in. It's a new perspective that can absolutely like reshape the way you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always it.
2: impressed at how nice everyone is on Instagram and everyone is generally helpful to each other on comments. Not so much on other social medias, but Instagram's definitely positive. And a lot of young people as well. I think the majority of my followers are like 18 to 25. Um, it changes with gender. For some reason, it's more older men, more younger women. But a lot of young people, which is something you don't see a lot with this hobby, I think. Well,
3: you're, how old are you, Bray? So yeah, that's a good demographic for you know. Be, I mean, tw- first of all, twenty three and just getting started and, and doing the kind of work you're doing <laughs> is kudos, man. I mean, that is huge. Um, the kind of work you're doing is is on definitely on the next level. And when so when did you start? Where have you been at this for? We we've talked about this a little bit with you in the in past broadcasts, but you know, just give us a little reminder when, how, how long have so you been So I got this? started
2: pretty young. I was 14 when I got started. So I think it's been about nine years or so of doing this. So almost the majority of my life I've spent like dedicated towards this one hobby or type of photography, which is kind of mind numbing to think about, but yeah, about nine years.
3: Yeah. And that's a lot of experience, and, and it shows in the work you're doing. Um, but then we've got Rogelio here, and he has also been at this for a little bit. Rogelio, welcome back, man. It is so good to see you again. Thank and, you. Uh, here. yeah, Yeah, here. Yeah, I can see and hear you. We had a little bit of trouble earlier, but that's, it's working out great. Now, so... Uh, Wow. Let's, you know, let's talk about your story just a little bit. We've, uh, most people who follow you, you've got, you've written the book, literally, as we've said on PixInsight, uh, a lot of experience there. So, um, what do you, what, do you, how did you get going in this? And, and, uh, what's your story a little bit?
0: Well, here's the thing. As I was listening to Chuck and Ray's story, I was like, wow, I'm nothing like that. I well, you, Chuck was encouraging people go and record your things. and put them on YouTube and I'm like, yeah, have I ever done that? And you know, like, and then, you know, with brave with all this demographic and all, all, and all the work that he's doing. Um, and I was like, so where exactly have I been lately? Um, so, and I've been writing books by the way. So that's, that's pretty time consuming. So my story, so, well, I ran into photography by chance uh, so Milky Way, I didn't start when I was 14, I started when I was 35, I was 35 years old the first time that I saw the Milky Way, of course I was immediately attracted to it, and and the next day, you know, I'm already on the internet looking for how to take pictures of, you know, these galaxies, kind of person like myself just do it, and uh, and then you get booked and then you just don't leave, um, now, on the publishing uh, topic, uh, even before answering the question how to get published, which is kind of big, I did want to mention one thing about, because you guys mentioned the APOC earlier, and I was thinking mm-hmm. if people want to know maybe how to get published on the APOC, but here's the thing, because it relates to my story. I was literally a nobody in this little field until my first picture made it to the A-Pod. And after that happened, it's like every work that I did had a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. So it's not
3: so much oh, about... Oh, really? So, so you're appearing on A-Pod for the first time, catapulted like your, a, yeah. your audience to the point where now, then everything you posted, or at least that you created and put online after that, became became noticed more noticed after that?
0: Correct. Actually, I should say, not just the moment my first image appeared on the airport. I mean, you have to understand, this was 2009. I have been doing astrophotography photography since 2008. So, you know, I was really still very new to it. Uh, yeah, what took my- so long?
3: It
4: took a whole year, <laughs> man. It took a whole year, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there was not a lot of competition. Then. In any case, um, so rather than saying that the first time that my work appeared on the a And that catapulted me. It was more about my first image appeared. Um, Of course, many people see it. So if the picture is good, and that's a different topic, um, some people pay attention. And then I got published a second time. It was a similar style, people pay more attention. And I would say that after the third time, I was almost a household name, right? Just, Just like that.
4: Yeah. And it only took three. I mean, how many apods do you have now? <laughs> I don't
0: know.
3: I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't you don't even notice now, do you? It's, yes. like, uh, it's, it's oh, more you, than like six, right? am I notice, right? and I
0: celebrate, <laughs> and I enjoy them. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's 60-something. That's what I know. 60-something. 60, 60
4: 60 yeah. Man, I want to get to that point right. where I have a something after the number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, Bray, you're you're uh, you're on your way there. I'm though. up to How many six.
2: I got two this last month, which is pretty good. I kind of took a hiatus for about like a year where I hadn't been submitting anything, and then I just decided to start getting really serious about just casting my work out everywhere. So I've been submitting to pretty much everything, and it's been paying off a little bit, which is good to see.
4: It's a hell of an award to get once. So when you're talking about getting it twice in the same month, man, that's that's really impressive. He's coming after you, Raheleo. <laughs>
0: that's very really cool.
4: Yeah. I welcome him. It. No, it's age advantage.
1: <laughs> I do. Chuck, you have I have well, a right? three.
4: <laughs> three. Yeah. Three. Wow. We are in good company today. This is definitely <laughs> the group to be asking questions. Because I mean, there there are a lot of different ways you can get published. I mean, obviously, you know, magazines and and then online articles, all, all the different ways you can do it. But APOD kind of stands out as the top tier. When you get an, a NASA APOD award, it's a big deal in this community. And it's something that's very, very respected. And and it's because they don't come easy. You really have to do some work. You have to be creative. You can't just catalog an object like everyone else has before you got to have some creativity and really be a photographer going after an image in order to get one um and so yeah it, it definitely speaks and I'm not surprised that you started getting a lot of recognition when you got the apods because so many people see those daily um astrophotography images when they're posted, the APOD is not a small community. Yeah, at it's, all. Not,
0: it, it's not mainstream audience. It's, there's a little bit of mainstream, but definitely the astrophotography community are paying a lot of attention to it. So within that community, yeah, that's going to put your work out there. So actually, if you submit something to the APOD, it better be good because if they select it, then you, know, you need to respond to that and i've been in a situation where i submitted an image i wasn't really happy about and then they selected it and i was like i mean i'm really happy but oh, god i don't really like
3: yeah images, <laughs> but not that one <laughs> Not yeah. that
4: yeah <laughs> yeah i've never thought about that if you sent an image you weren't happy with and you got the apod everybody's <laughs> gonna see that image it would be a little bit disturbing <laughs> and, and,
0: and they don't and, and you know they don't base their selection only on what we understand as a quality image um, it could be just a timely image, um, uh, a different image, even if it's not really technically skillful. You know, they, they post sometimes, you know, the published images that sometimes people are like, how could this be an a and not mine? Um, it's because, you know, they don't have an agenda of selecting the best image. You know, and that, I guess, goes to the core of what should I submit so that, you know, I, you know, I get published on the A-Bot. It's not necessarily the most amazing image that you've ever taken. I've submitted images that I still don't know why they were not selected so I thought they were really good. And and then oh, a different one is published that is the same object and different. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things. I mean, you have to understand it's, and, and, you know, you have a conversation with Jerry or Bobby, the editors of the iPod, and they're going to tell you, well, people think it's a contest and it's not. Um, you know, it's an outreach tool. and Their job is to write. So you need to send them an image they can write about. Um, so that's that's right. one That's one thing that leads, you know, if, if you send in a picture of I don't know Andromeda, it could get selected. Um, but if there's nothing going on on Andromeda, there's not a lot of incentive for them to, you know, to write a story about. Um, that's why yeah. I say, you know, sometimes they want things like a more timely, you know, like you know, when the comet, you know, when a comet is out there, they want to be comet, um, you know, celestial events, the eclipse. Um, the solar eclipse—they had like ten different A-pods on just the solar eclipse. Uh, so yeah, all these things are same they yeah.
3: Help. yeah, that's a really it good point. It is something
4: that that everybody wants, and not not everybody has. And um, and so we're not we're not supposed to talk about it, but you know whatever we are going to right now we just won't give any details but we do (laughs) we do have one of the um the editors of apod coming on space junk podcast to talk exactly about what you're describing to um you know to tell that story and to try to give some people insight into what actually goes into it because there's so much mystery around it i mean (laughs) clearly not not for you guys but for everyone else that does submit it like that people submit their images i've heard it from countless people man i thought that image was really really good and I submitted it and I didn't get anything, you know? And so I think for so many people who get disappointed by that, it, you know, we want to kind of like try to illuminate what exactly goes into it um, because it is, I mean, it's such a, a an awesome award to get if this is the hobby you love. It's really cool. I'm sure Chuck, when you got yours, I I'd imagine, especially your first one, right? I imagine that was a great day.
1: Yeah, because I was still a new guy and I had a case of beginner's luck. It was a solar time-lapse, but I still never expected to get one for it because I had looked through their history and all they ever posted for solar time-lapses were from scopes from these big institutionalized telescopes. Mm. I had never seen anyone from their backyard get an APOT for a solar time-lapse, so it was completely out of the blue to get one. So I was dancing on the ceiling when I got mine.
4: (laughs) You know, it's a good point, point. Um, and I'm really glad you said that, because you three are great examples of n- none of you are using gigantic telescopes at all. Like, you're using 4-inch telescopes, right, Rogelio?
0: Um, yeah, the
2: FSQ 106 4-inch.
4: Yeah, 4-inch yeah, refractors. Bray, what what telescope did you get your most recent APOD with, or was it the um, one on zero I think- remote?
2: So the, actually the most recent APOD I got was with just a camera and a lens. I used a 135 millimeter lens, but the one before that was with the 16 inch yeah, at SRO. So. so it can range from basic yeah. camera to crazy big telescope, just whatever is good.
4: Yeah. So we'll just, we'll just ignore the 16 because it doesn't agree <laughs> with my point here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Chuck, what which scoper have you gotten your APODs with?
1: Uh, one was with the Orion ED-80T for the solar time-lapse with the Daystar Quark, and then the other two were uh, an Explorer Scientific 127mm uh, scope.
4: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's amazing, man, because I think that a lot of people probably assume that you have to buy your way into APOD, that it's like, well, I got to go buy a $25,000 telescope if I want an APOD, and it's just not true. No, no. no. So Yeah, It's just not true. You just have to, I think you got to bring something creative to it though, right? And and a lot of the images I see, there's always like this spin to it. It's like either very relevant for the timing or um, it's just a really unique
3: framing where somebody just took their photography skill
4: (laughs) and did something
3: good with it. I also yeah. want to underscore Rogelio's point about uh, the NASA APOD star- is an outreach tool. It's something that they use to teach astronomy with. And the, uh, the picture is actually half of the story. The other part, equally important, is the caption that's written, as Rogelio said, by, some, by an astronomer uh, from some institution to, to make a point about a scientific feature or a concept or something like that. So when it comes to APODs, one thing that might, that goes into the selection process. And as you pointed out, Dustin, we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks uh, with, with people who were involved with APODs, but, but the, the educational aspect of it is just as important as how, if not more important in many cases, with how they look. So maybe that's why these, mm-hmm. these images that Rogelio w- uh, was surprised got selected, got selected because they were more educational in value. So I, w- I want to emphasize that point about APODs in particular. And they get picked up, syndicated, because if you ever go to APOD, NASA.APOD, or app, yeah, uh, APOD.NASA.gov, and you look at their website, it's decidedly... W- Web 1.0, right? It is not a fancy website, but you, those are, in it, but it's syndicated, allows for easy syndication for a lot of people to pick up those images and captions and put them all over the internet. So that's why you see them so widely distributed as well.
4: Well, and, and there are a lot of different ways, it's not just APOD. Obviously, no, that's no. one that, that gives you a lot of bragging rights and something to be right. truly proud of, but there are a lot of ways to get your images out there. I mean, we just discussed YouTube, which I think is one of the best platforms to do it. I, I think it's a phenomenal platform to do it, but there, I mean, even museums, Rogelio, you've had you've had your work in museums.
0: Uh, in a, two or three of them, yeah.
4: Um, two, how does that happen?
0: Well, but here's the thing, I don't have a formula for that to happen because they called me uh oh,
4: okay. so
0: i guess it's i, I don't really know uh, one of my pictures i was selected for a museum was actually very early it was actually in 2008 so i was just basically having been doing this for about a year and the ruby museum in, in new year they wrote to me they wanted to use an image that i had of, of orion um from from the horse head all the way to uh to M22, which is nice a very classic framing but back then there were maybe two or three images that had that whole field of view. Um, So, you know, um, I don't even remember if I got paid or not, but if I didn't, you know, I'm sure I said yes, regardless back then, Um, I don't remember. Um, But yeah, they call me and and, and a similar experience I have with National Geographic, which have been published both digital and on on the printed version. And if somebody told me, so how do you do it? Um, I didn't do anything. They they contact me interested in this or that picture. Uh, so yeah, there's really nothing I did other than taking the pictures and having them, you know, out there for people to so, see. Yeah. Is that the
4: same? Is that the same story that happened with Cosmos? Because your your images were featured on Cosmos, the television show, as well, right?
0: They used one of my images. They they edited to make it look three D on the approach to Orion Man. You know?
4: And you didn't do that. They reached out to you.
0: They reached out to me, and I had this was again in 2008, I believe, or nine and I had no idea why they wrote to me because <laughs> back then you know I maybe had two or three or maybe four pictures that were you know kind of nice um, and I was like wow I know how...
1: but they didn't that's tell... a TV series, did they pay you for that? Uh, <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yeah good, yeah,
3: good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, you know
0: actually I was mixing two stories, I was mixing I'm sorry, I was mixing when, when they took uh, when When they wrote to me for for using one of my images on the Hubble 3D movie, not on the Cosmos series, the Hubble 3D movie, that was the one that they used a picture of Orion for the approach, uh, you know, to the Orion Nebula, they they used the image on a 3D kind of like version. Uh, I don't know if I got paid for that.
4: (laughs) So what do you think, though? Like... What do you – I mean, not not everybody is getting calls from Nat Geo and from museums. What about for the everyone else piece of this? Um, I mean, how do, how do you think they should go about it? Because maybe they – I mean, once your work is out, like you said – it's almost like a positive feedback loop because you start getting recognition and then that's gonna get more people to see it, then more people wanna post it, so it gets you more recognition and the cycle continues. What happens if you haven't started that positive feedback loop and you're just trying to get in? What do you recommend for people? How do you think they do that?
0: Well, me, I would say, don't focus on that. Focus on the hobby. Uh. Um, And it may sound either cliche or totally useless recommendation, um, but I didn't try to get published. I, my goal wasn't, you know, to, to create the images of people who like. My, my goal was to get better at it and, and do things that I like. And, and I think if you focus on your work and, you know, and you have some, some, something in you that makes you you know create nice pictures, then you'll get published. Um, it's true that if you focus on getting published, you may, uh, you know, like we see right now, for example, on Instagram, these trying to extremely saturated, composited images of anything in order to get more attention. And it works. Um, I don't do it. Other people do it. But it definitely works. So if you want to go that way, I guess you could try that way. But that's not going to get you published on the APOD or National Geographic. That's just going to get you, you know, a very, uh, you know, strong social media presence, which is a different thing, you know, I think, that you know, that being published.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, I, I would say that being published on Instagram and being published, you know, in the other the other places we're talking about, they are different. But I wouldn't I wouldn't exclude the publication aspect of this or the sharing aspect of this from the hobby, because I think that. Like for me, this hobby is two things. One is my excitement because I'm just a photographer at heart. It's like I literally think about it every single day, even if it's just like daytime photography. It's in my blood. You know, I can't get it out. And then the other thing is sharing it, which to me is even more powerful because it's like we found this thing. You said you started when you were 35. I was 28. And when I found it, it wasn't enough for me to go push myself in the hobby and just do it. The, the exciting thing for me was I was like, how did I make it 28 years of my life without knowing the universe was around me? And it's like, I have this mission now to share that experience because it made my life so much better. And so I think that for me, it's all rolled into one hobby. The sharing component is just as if not more powerful than pushing myself photographically.
0: Absolutely. And I think yeah. a lot
4: of people feel that way.
0: Yeah. But what what I meant wasn't stop sharing your work and focus on on getting better. What I what I meant was focus less on being popular. I guess was the right. key word here. I mean, you're. I yeah. mean, I, please still share your work. You know, get feedback, learn. That's how you're gonna learn by sharing your work by getting feedback from others. Should, I, I wasn't saying stop doing that. I was saying yes, you know, stop focusing yeah. on on getting the um, Yeah. yeah. On the work on that. That was kind of like the thing. But yeah, absolutely. I'm not asking you to you know. Go in our rooms so and shut down the
4: internet. I'm, 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 you know, so, just to clarify. Yeah, I do, I do always appreciate when you see the people that are just dedicated to their craft in that way and are doing something new. Bray, um, right? you're, certainly, you're certainly one of those people. And it, it's showing. I mean, you've got, um, you know, what, 125, probably more than that. Now it's it goes up by now. the minute. 125,000 <laughs> people. Yeah, or coming 190? up on 200K. Man, what did I look at this like 30 <laughs> yeah. seconds ago? you know it's like you know 190,000 people that see your work daily um I mean it's just does is that not is that not intimidating well I
2: think the thing goes it's kind of like how bodybuilders feel about themselves no matter how big you get you always feel small um it is a lot of people like when you sit back and you take a look at it like and fill it up like it try to imagine that many people out there it's it is a lot to comprehend but like, as far as publishing goes, I would honestly kind of recommend the same, like, thing that Rahelio is saying, although it is like a cliche, the I'd say the best way to get published, to get noticed, any attention is just have good pictures and have them consistently and just, you know, share them everywhere. That's really the way to do it. If you don't have good pictures, then they won't be seen by anyone. So just focus on bettering yourself constantly and that'll come
4: through. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's always true. I've seen some <laughs> I've seen some pretty wild images just go viral, man. Um, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to bash anybody's work, but things that like clearly weren't, you know, like even images, just things that are like, you know, a a bat flying out of the moon. You know things like that, and it just goes viral about like, hey, this was an astrophoto photo, or whatever. And you know, I think look, be as creative as you want, and I think that's great. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's the only piece of the equation is just having good work because I also, on the other side of it, I've seen some phenomenal images out there where people have just done everything right, and you can tell they put their soul into pixel peeping to get everything right, and then the image doesn't go nuts. And I feel like, man, there's like, you know, 20 people that saw this and this work is better than anything I've ever done in my life. Um, You know, but I can say that your work is consistently good and it's gotten a lot better. Even over the last year, I mean, you have to feel the marked improvement because it's been obvious and noticeable since you've started really like doing this full time. Yeah, even looking at old
2: stuff. It just, you know, I was looking at old data the other day to try to find something nice to edit. And I was just like, wow, this is all really bad. I wouldn't, you know, edit this picture up to my standards <laughs> where it is now just a year and a half ago. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, That's the way it goes you should though, always right? be trying to improve your own work. And essentially, people will notice it eventually. I would say it is harder nowadays, though, than it was back when I think I was starting And like 2012, 2013, and back then, there weren't so many astrophotographers posting. Um, So just even having social media and getting into the whole field early is an advantage. It's more difficult now to stand out, I think, than it was back then. So uh, nowadays, I think you kind of have to be a bit more creative Mm -hmm. than those days.
4: I wonder if it's not uh, relative relatively linear though like because yeah it's, it's harder to stand out because it's more saturated you got a lot of people doing it right a lot more people that are really good at it doing it because the more you do it the more people see it and then you give away your tips for free all the time I see you do live streams showing people how to do things uh Chuck same thing you're doing all your stuff for free so people are getting good very fast because they don't have to live through the mistakes you had to live through because you're you're giving them a shortcut past that they're hitting Um,
1: the ground running i'm amazed at what new people do now
4: yeah yeah so what's your experience like with that on youtube i mean are the conversations kind of like what bray's describing are they all positive or do you get a lot of the youtube kind of tony and i talk about how youtube can be a little toxic in the comments section sometimes
1: (laughs) yeah i i just had a comment where someone told me you need to find someone to narrate your videos because your voice is unbearable (laughs) (laughs) so youtube is you hear it all on youtube so yeah you need
4: (laughs) a thick
3: skin for sure yeah, right. man, I don't know why people do that stuff. Uh, but. It is. Yeah, I've questioned that myself recently. Yeah. Um, but but I have a question for all four of you, since we're on the topic here of what you know, do you post good images. That's you know, that's 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 um, an easy statement to make. But I'd like to get each of your inputs. What are the characteristics of a good image? As you pointed out, the the Internet is saturated, or at least it's certainly got a lot of people taking taking pictures of the night sky now what makes them stand out what are the qualities that you would consider a good image one that you would submit to apod or be happy to see on national geographic
1: geez uh you you just keep learning as you go years ago i wouldn't have even known what a blown out star is and now, of course, you, you know all these little tricks about getting the picture sharp, denoising it. But I think a big thing is still um, to get an, an APOD, at least, is being unique or being ahead of the pack. I just had one on the Sky page. I think I was the first one this season to actually capture the Hubble palette, uh, the elephant trunk in the Hubble palette. And it made the, the Facebook APOD page. And I thought, well, um, and I admit, um, the Hubble palette, all our pictures are. You know, because everybody has become so good at it, they do kind of look the same,
3: you know? What do you mean the Hubble
1: palette? Yeah, the Hubble palette um, is a necessity for me. It's what I use to fight off light pollution in my backyard. Um, there's just uh, narrowband filters, HA, sulfur, and oxygen. And it's usually it's, it's a false color image where you're putting the strongest filter, usually HA, in green, where HA is normally a red color. And you're going from there to be really creative. And it's, it's basically a false color image to show three different elements as, as best you can.
3: Okay. And and that is that I should point out, I worked with the people that uh, worked on the Hubble telescope for uh, many years. They did these, these uh, these images and they have a palette that they assign to certain wavelengths uh, to these images. And that's what ends up looking like these mm-hmm. signature Hubble images, like the pillars of creation, things like that. They have certain color palettes they use yeah. for each filter wavelength. So okay bray what do you think what are what are some so we've got technically correct that's one thing that chuck has said uh unique he said that would makes that makes a good image Being um, first, and of course a color palette <laughs> oh being first is another one that's a that's even harder in this thing yeah. and age. <laughs> being being yeah. first um and also being unique yeah. i mean how can you be unique with him right. 57 but i guess you could be unique in maybe your palette choices or something yeah. like that um so what, what would you add to that list bray
2: So I would say like immediately that when I like try to make a good photo you try to do things that what would another astrophotographer look at your picture and try to critique it on like good stars, gradients, noise, are you introducing artifacts, anything like that. I try to address those questions in my processing first with the detail just so like I'm trying to make a picture that other astrophotographers would think is great and then on the back end of that, I think what most people notice right off the bat is color. So I'd say the majority of my processing is spent trying to make the colors vibrant, good, and balanced. I think color is the, the thing that people notice first and that is probably most critical to you know having a, a good image, I would say. Because details you can if you have good data to start with, you don't really need to do much detail enhancing. The detail is already there from the data. It's how you display the color and make it look natural or good that people will pick up on. Rogelio?
0: I think, I think, I think, I think the color suggestion is it's a really good one because it's specific. Um, like I was also thinking, yeah, unique is definitely going to help you if you do something that's unique. But how do you come up with something unique? Is there a formula? How do you do that? And,
3: and, um, but, but yeah, Rogelio, you've got this down. I mean, you're the master of unique. Your spacescapes are some of the most unique things I've ever seen. Well, so, but he, you know, you. He,
0: well, here's the thing: is that I started doing something early. I are talking 2008, 2009, 2010. For me, for me, that's early. Um, that really wasn't being done at the time. Uh, whether I got lucky by you know wanting to do that or for whatever other reason um that clearly defined i'm not the gun i'm not the one with those noises <laughs> um that that really started to define my work and i'm referring to these more like spacescapes as opposed to objects right and i and i've said this time and time again astrophotography for many people it feels like you're building a catalog of of objects as opposed, to, <laughs>
3: exactly yeah, right. as opposed to
0: looking for more composition on the sky. And when we're talking deep sky, it's, it's tough in the sense that you kind of really, you know, play with the light, you know, like golden hour, that kind of things. You kind of, you know, you don't want clouds, you kind of go around the object. You're extremely limited. Your canvas is right there and that's what it is. Um, but one of the things that I did, and, and I think I did it because it just wasn't, um, attractive to me to just take another picture of M31. It felt like, you know, at some point, like, yeah, there's there's just so many of them. I, okay, so this one is mine. But and then I started to look at, at, at the bigger canvas, and that's how I started to I started to do all these huge mosaics, um, basically because okay, so here's M31, but here's M33. I'm gonna take a picture that has both galaxies. I'm trying to find a framing that kept the balance. So. This this way of thinking about composition on deep sky it was really I mean almost nobody was doing it back then now a lot of people are doing it which I think is great and sometimes I see frames and I'm like God yeah, I didn't see that one you know <laughs> it's really cool um, so but yes yeah, so I think that that was one of the defining things on my particular work at the time and it's something that I've continued to trying to do uh, you know in, in, in almost everything I do and now as I'm thinking of my next deep sky project. I know it's not going to be NGC X, Y, Z. It's going to have to be something else. So, you know, I already, I'm already approaching, um, you know, my next project thinking, you know, what can I do that I haven't seen before, right? Uh, so I guess that helps
3: too. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, what about you, Dustin? You got anything to add to that? What do you think um, makes a really good image? Yeah,
4: I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure where... Where my images belong in this conversation, because I, I normally describe it. You can have an
3: opinion. <laughs> yeah, you well, you know I, a good image. You know, when you I, I just it. go
4: after something else, and it's um like for me, I I like images of all types, and it's really you know I've seen really images that were really powerful, like amazing images that have chromatic aberration or other issues in the image. And I'm like, but still there's something about that image that just draws you to it. It's just amazing. And it makes you think about the scale of the universe and it's just a powerful image. And so I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes when you just see an image that, um, that kind of gives you that, that that's really all that's required for me. And, and generally the way I try to get to that, cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to do something different here. Um, you know, I usually describe my images as like, if you took a grenade and filled it with neon paint and threw it into the sky that's what i'm taking a picture of you know and sharing it on instagram and seeing how many kids and other people i can get excited about space and honestly the only images i've submitted to APod that i know of i know recently for sure have been images that like i took one with a 12 year old uh william and i submitted it right. with him yep. and his image was absolutely incredible but You know it's got it's got some technical issues in it and um it's certainly very colorful but it gets other kids excited and that's the kind of stuff that i love and it gets people talking because big colorful images get people's attention that aren't normally going to talk about space i mean you got to remember most people don't know what a nebula is you know so just opening the door to that conversation with a big colorful image feels like all right we're we're getting something done here this this feels right. And, you know, I just got, uh, I got a message two days ago from that same kid. I was sitting at work, walking into a meeting and his mom sends me a picture and it's, he won his, uh, you know, this kid's 12 years old. That was the only image he's, he's taken. And he won his essay contest with an essay about how he's making an in quotes career change. And that career change is that he's going, yeah, <laughs> well, at 12, is that he's think now going stuff. to be an astrophotographer <laughs> and kind of laid out, the the yeah. details of that image and I was just like oh my god I'm not crying you're crying you know what I mean? and I was like oh this is <laughs> yeah this is what That's a great this story. is what it's about and so <laughs> I don't know man I'm looking for something slightly different the images that that I see that are these technically perfect images I mean I know what it takes to make an image and I know I mean I've got I've got this book right here I don't know if you've ever seen this before uh Rogelio but um, oh, I keep yeah, this I thing that. this thing never goes very far: It really it never up. goes far from my, <laughs> from my computer and if you notice there's two <laughs> different books here because that's what goes in to making a phenomenal perfectly technically perfect image um, and it's just it's not me. Um, I appreciate it more than more than i can express but it's just uh i mean it is a challenge of all challenge. i think it's the most difficult type of photography you can do and i think that's why people get into it you know it's just it's every type of challenging creatively intellectually everything um you got to know it a lot and you got to do a lot well, so y-
3: Well, you just hit on something that I think is probably the most important aspect, and that is context. In addition to all the other things, you know, having something that is, you know, have high dynamic range and a a good – everything is technically correct. All your your fundamentals are are good as far as taking the image. Context is huge, I think, and that's why Mm -hmm. APOD is so important. That's what it provides. It provides – a picture and context for that picture. So with a 12 year old taking an image of the, whatever it is, the Orion Nebula, whatever it happens to be, that's context that matters to an audience, particularly other 12 year olds who might want to do this themselves, or even adults who want to maybe teach their children how to, to get into the hobby. So context, I think is one of the most important because, and this is a literal, this is, this absolutely happened to me. My life changed when I saw for the very first time in, I think it was 1999, uh, the first Hubble Deep Field, it was an image. It, it wasn't even a particularly mm-hmm. attractive image. It was just a square with little oblong tiled uh, mosaic from the, uh, uh, wide, the the first wide field camera on Hubble with a bunch of smudges on it. But those smudges were taken... By looking, by pointing the Hubble Space Telescope for 11 days at a point in the sky where astronomers did not know if there was anything at all to see. In fact, it was contentious, this image. They had to fight over it because there was a waste of Hubble time, right? 11 days is a lot of Hubble time. And to take a picture of what could be nothing was uh, considered a huge waste of time. And yet... When they got all the images put together, and they stacked them all up, and they saw a galaxy, they saw an image that had over five thousand galaxies in it. They did it again in two thousand five and two thousand four, two thousand five, and then they saw over ten thousand galaxies in a different patch of sky. So context is what actually can change your life. It changed my life because I then became. You know, it's what it's what started my career in science outreach. I made videos on it, and I started back in two thousand six on YouTube creating videos because of that image, and it was life changing. It put me on a completely different track. Um, and so, when you're thinking about all of these things that Rogelio and Bray and and Chuck and and Dustin are talking about, they all kind of come together. But it doesn't everybody's story is different. Chuck hasn't been at this as long as as Rogelio has. But and Rogelio was started even before there were there was Instagram, right? So he was he was so. starting mm-hmm. with a website. Deep, it was DeepSky's Colors, right?com. That's where you started, that's where you put most of your work. Yeah, back then there were blogs and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's right. There were blogs and <laughs> very, very web 1.0. And uh, and But if you can provide context with any of these things, I think that'll get you a lot further. Okay, I know we're running out of time, but I just got to ask you all one more question because it's burning. It's very important, I think, for listeners to know the difference. What's more important, the equipment you use to take these images or the processing after the fact? Well, that's a good one. Discuss. Let's pick on Bray first.
2: I would say, uh, yeah, I I have a lot to say on this. I always say it's, it's garbage in, garbage out. There is no amount of processing that will make garbage pretty. So there is an important factor with you need to have something that can give you stuff that's not garbage to put into the processing machine. And if you get good stuff in the process then you could do barely anything to it and still have a good image on the back end. So I would say it's
3: just get good So data the technical that's all of it. Take take a technically correct image by that you, right exposure links, good dynamic range, good scaling and your, your calibration images, things like that, right?
2: Yeah. Good seeing, good light pollution, lots of good data, scene, light- low noise. And that is most of the equation I would say to getting a good image. Cause without that, I can't no. tell
4: you how many times Bray has tried to get me to take flat frames.
3: You don't do flat frames? So I even can't
1: don't. <laughs>
4: I don't. That's why you can see the, the dust donuts all over my image. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well. You can't process away the bad stuff that you, is what you're saying, right, right? You just, you got to have the, the fundamentally correct image.
2: With great effort, you can process away the bad things, or you could just get rid of all the bad stuff like the donuts, the vignetting right away up front, and then have a good starting point to then produce a great <laughs> image instead of trying to fight mistakes you made earlier in the capturing process. <laughs> so you got to set yourself up to have a good image to process and then it should be I think straightforward that's good advice. Right there,
4: yeah, I think that's good advice. Setting yourself up yeah. for success with your equipment choices and um, you know, like my first imaging scope was a Dobsonian non-go-to non-powered, that was a terrible equipment choice for astrophotography, um, you know. So I think making good choices on on the equipment front end is a good idea and doing the work to actually calibrate images and do all that. You're setting yourself up for success for sure. Chuck, what are your thoughts? You
1: know, I would agree with Bray. Um, you need good data and that's something I'm lacking because I do all my imaging from my backyard mm-hmm. and I'm surrounded by my neighbor's fog lights. So I rely a lot on narrowband, but... I'm amazed at what I see people capture from dark skies and uh, what they can capture in a single exposure. I think, oh, wow, if I had that data to work with, <laughs> my life would be a lot easier.
4: So, <laughs> yeah. Rogelio, let's end yeah. with you. What are your thoughts?
1: Um,
0: well, first, I, mean, I agree 100% with what Bray said in terms of garbage in, garbage in. That's absolutely true. Um, but on top of that, I'm going to just give you this perspective, which is that the better your equipment actually the better your data is and of course your equipment and conditions you know, play a super important role there, the better your data is, the less process the less you need, the less good you need to be at processing, because it's gonna be easier to process. Yeah. Whereas if you if your data is really, really bad, in order to actually make it look like something, and remember it's still, you know, garbage in, garbage out, but you're you're probably going to have to be really good at processing to actually make it better. So I guess what I'm saying is, really good data. You don't need to be a wizard at processing. It'll it'll come up easier. And, you know, you'll figure your way out somehow. Um, not so good data. It's going to require more of you from the processing side. I guess that's that's what I'm trying to say. And most of us don't have Hubble, you know, quality data. So we need to learn. We need to know some processing more than just. You know, a simple stretch, but definitely start with good data or at least as good as you can, and then everything.
3: I was talking with Charles Lilo or Lilo from uh, the AA Pod 2 guys uh, a couple episodes, or a couple of weeks ago, uh, on the episode about their their uh, website, and he said that one of the things there that they look for. Three things uh, in images uh, for they post on their site: is it in focus? That's important. The second thing they look for is yeah. is it in focus, <laughs> <laughs> and the third thing is focus. So that goes to the point of you know getting the getting the fundamentals down, getting getting the technically uh, accurate data. Because there's, I don't think you can process away an out of focus star um, with any kind of uh, consistency anyway. Um well Bray, I was looking at your Instagram page and I have to ask you about this because I'm very curious. You are are you offering NFTs of your images?
2: Yeah, I've been getting my feet a little wet in that, and there have been a lot of people that have gotten mad at me over it, especially on Twitter. I'm I'm very confused about the whole field, but yeah, I, I was too crying a little bit. <laughs>
3: Non-fungible it's, token is what that stands for, you if you don't know idea. what that is.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, is there money to be made
3: I've doing sold that? i
2: Yeah, there, there is some money. It's very odd. It's like a very early market, and there's this odd relationship between the people buying them and the people producing them. Because the people actually spending money on this are like early adopters in the crypto. So they have just tons of crypto and tons of money to drop. So it's a bunch of people fighting for the attention of these people buying nfts essentially mm-hmm. so if you want to fight for their attention then you can <laughs> okay. make some serious money sell off
1: your apods
3: yeah <laughs> yeah so what makes a good nft while we're on the topic <laughs> of getting published Whether well, that, that's one way to do it what would make a good nft
2: um nfts are dominated mostly by visual art or digital art so right. the more your astrophotography approaches digital art the more easy it is to market to those people trying to buy them. So, if you have something that's like a composite or something that can move a time lapse or anything, maybe that's a bit more creatively inspired, would market to those people.
3: That's what yeah. I would say. Okay. Well, good luck with that. I, I'm fascinated by it. I don't, I, I know everything, I, everything I know about yeah. it, I just said. So, uh, <laughs> I was just curious. I saw that on your website or the, on your Instagram and I thought I'd ask about it. Okay. Does anything else you want to ask before we close out? No, no, okay. this has been so much fun. Yeah.
4: Thank you all for, for joining us. This has been a blast. And, um, I know people will find it helpful because I, I really do think that sharing is a big part of the hobby and, and people want to share and they want to share in a meaningful way. And the three of you are doing that as well as anyone. So, yep. uh, definitely. thank you for sharing your experiences. Yeah.
3: Thank you for coming on. Uh, Chuck Ayub, uh, uh, Bray Falls, Rogelio Bernal, Andreo, who uh, I, you just got your, you just go by initials now, right? It's just uh RBA, yep, right? That's yep i fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you've made it when you're just don't know about your initials. <laughs> RBA's here, okay. Yeah, <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be on our podcast. That's, that's it for this week. Uh, on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I'm Tony Darnell. Thank you all so much for listening and watching, and as always, keep looking up.